is Who Wore What When, a podcast where we examine historical figures and their clothes. I'm your host, Maggie Latham, and I'm joined by a very special guest today, Mr. Gabriel Strzada. Hello. Would you like to uh, say anything about yourself? Certainly. Well, thank you for having me, Maggie. Um, Today we are going to be talking about how to unpack um, toxic masculinity and the existence of the gender binary and how that relates to fashion and, uh, in this case, the most recent cover of Vogue featuring Harry Styles. That's fine. Um, I do want to just say that we are outside because of COVID, so if you hear weird noises in the background or dog or anything like that fear not sorry suck it up sound quality we are making do and being cautious yeah for some backstory um harry styles appeared on the cover of vogue wearing a lace dress that's all ruffly um and a blazer over top which is uh become somewhat of a uh point of contention for certain conservative folks. It had um, a mixed reception from um, namely the usual suspects in terms of the political conservative commentators that always have something to say. Um, Mm -hmm. Candace Owens, for example, um, says that um, she does not want to exist in a society in which we are uh, bringing up a new generation of uh, men that have been feminized. Um, no society apparently can survive without strong men, and then parallels the steady feminization of men um, with the uh, slow but ever-present real threat of Marxism in American politics. Ah, uh, yes, because Karl Marx was famously just <laughs> flamboyant. so flamboyant, <laughs> so effeminate. The, the Liberace of his oh, time, really. Truly. <laughs> Cause you, I can picture it. And it's amazing, but... um, So, it's just especially curious um, that this cover in particular was sort of the the catalyst in terms of Ben Shapiro, for example, saying that this is indicative of a modern referendum on what it means to be a male in American society. In society. Candace Owens suggesting that um, American culture is sort of dwindling and facing its demise as we start to become more accepting of gender fluidity and um, uh, gender non-binary people. And um, obviously that's complete bull and totally (laughs) conservative sensationalism. Um, And when we talk about what it was and what qualities made, I don't know, our sort of modern definition of masculinity, um, we sort of point to uh, history always. As we do here on this uh, historical (laughs) podcast. Right, right. Um, An example that I remember we had discussed was just sort of how, um, for the longest time, um, we had convinced ourselves that the Greeks and Romans were like the epitome of masculinity. Um, But really, they were queer as hell. Yeah, they loved some naked, oiled-up wrestling. Yeah. there was also like the pedophilia and all that, but we don't. That's a whole different situation. Um, but yeah, it's uh, they were certainly much more fluid. I mean, you picture like 
when I picture like a straight man, one of the things I picture is like a dude at a toga party in college, you know, like just one of those like where they're not wearing anything remotely historically accurate in the form of a right. toga. Um, I used to yell at people about this all the time and everyone would be like, shut up, Maggie. And I'd be like, <laughs> I'm not drunk and you all are. So screw you. Um, but that they're idealizing the Greeks and Romans Whereas if they were really doing that, they'd be, you know, yeah, naked wrestling with other dudes. Too true, too true. Um, and I feel like maybe a really good jumping off point for this conversation would be um, if people like Candace Owens and Ben Shapiro uh, were to be appeased, um, what would Harry Styles actually be wearing on right. the cover of Vogue? cargo shorts um, <laughs> a sweaty old t-shirt with like stains on it right um those those uh new balance shoes that dads always wear Ooh, yes and white white socks yeah the, white the high socks. ones yeah. oh yeah um, um and also like one of those foam caps with the sunglasses on the back part of it oh my god yeah definitely yeah, yeah. sunglasses on the back of his head um and candace owens wants to bring back manly men um, and really, I just gotta know, um, when we bring back manly men, what happens to, I don't know, the average Everyone working else. lady? Yeah. <laughs> Literally everybody else? That's a great question, and I, I honestly don't think that there is an answer, because the concept of the manly man is so inherently flawed that I don't think there's an answer to that. Right. Really. So flawed and so easily disrupted. Right. Right. Um, and of course, this is nothing new. Like, we have had gender-bending fashion in Hollywood for the longest time, and even beyond that, um, uh, androgyny and, uh, gender non-conforming people have existed in society forever, right. um, and it shouldn't be such a controversy when someone like Harry Styles, who has always been a bit androgynous and fluid, um, to be wearing a gown and a uh, blazer on the cover of Vogue. It shouldn't be enough um, to incite public outcry <laughs> around uh, we need to protect our men. At least Twitter outcry. At least Twitter. You know. At least Twitter. Nah, there, there, Twitter. Was, there was no one down the street <laughs> yelling Protest. about Harry Styles protesting. Well, and historically speaking, um, pants, very new in the grand scheme of things. And uh, men did wear a form of a dress for many, many years. They wore the same things as women for a good portion of history, especially if you weren't um, super affluent. You would wear a lot of basically T-shaped garments. They would get more structured as time went on, but you know, the concept of men wearing pants and being um, subdued in, like, the jacket, vest, shirt, pants, boots, or shoes, that was invented in the 1800s by Beau Brummel, and he did it to be the opposite of what men were at the time, which were the peacocks, and they were wearing these outlandish, brightly colored, crazy outfits that were jeweled and, like, decked out. You can listen to the Bo Brummel episode. It will give you all of that information. <laughs> Slight uh, That's promotion. A plug. That's yeah. a plug if I ever did hear one. Listen, 
gotta self-promote. Haven't done one of these in I'm like all about nine it. months. And one of the uh, the icons of masculinity, one might say, is King Henry VIII. Henry VIII, manly man, if there ever was one, divorced or killed, just a whole bunch of ladies, because that was what he liked to do. That's what you did. And uh, one could argue that that is uh, manly. He, the ultimate uh, quintessential manly man. But he wore some crazy stuff. It was brightly colored. It was decked out in jewels. It was, by our standards today, quite feminine. Um, and yet, he's a symbol of masculinity. Right. So, just historically speaking, Candace Owens, you're wrong. That dresses make people feminine. Yeah, read up Candace Owens. You know, something else that I think is worth mentioning is that we sort of allow um, female-identified people to sort of have a little bit more freedom in terms of their fashion choices, and no one sort of raises an eyebrow. You know, it's it's something that we sort of uh, loosely apply to women, and when it comes to um, male-identified, male-presenting people... Um, it's a very rigid sort of understanding of what it is they can and can't do, uh, right. what agrees with our conception of masculinity and the modern man, and what doesn't. Um, well, so, and, and certainly I would just like to say, just to have it be said, neither of us is implying that women have it easy as far as fashion goes, because if you wear not. anything, you know, you're judged for being a prude or a slut, and that's a whole nother the policing is still there yes the policing is there but the the variety nemo the variety of garments that women are permitted to wear skirts dresses shirts pants jackets blazers the blazers are such a fashion staple these days i say with a closet full of blazers so i hope that that's true um but it's they're allowed to have all of this variety whereas men get pants and shirts Right. And blazers, I guess, to a certain extent. Which is pretty interesting, because if we are applying such a a rigid framework to men in, I don't know, positions of influence, if we apply such a rigid conception of masculinity to what it is they can do and can't do in regards to how it agrees with our American standard of masculinity, um, like, why is it that... um, it can be so easily disrupted. What, right. what is it about masculinity that makes it just so vulnerable to the smallest attacks? Right. And why is Harry Styles just so threatening <laughs> to this whole framework? Right, and, and it's such a complicated issue when you say that um, once... You have this concept of the manly man. You have manliness, the patriarchy, all that. And then you have addressed which is a traditionally not historically but traditionally seen as a symbol of femininity and what are you saying if you're saying that this one tiny symbol of femininity can completely destroy the concept of the manly man what are you saying are you saying that masculinity is so weak and so vulnerable and fragile that it can be destroyed so easily or are you saying that feminism is so powerful that it can so easily, one tiny bit of it can right. easily destroy masculinity. Those are my two options. That's all I'm seeing here. Pretty sure that's not her point. 
but that's that's what I like to believe. Honestly, we gotta we gotta hold Candace accountable to her word, because if she wants to bring back manly men, then she also wants to bring back womenly women, and uh, that just sounds like it's signaling some pretty obvious regression. It sounds like she's out of a job. Because <laughs> <laughs> she would like not she be is working. Out of a job. And um, as far as Ben Shapiro is concerned, um, I don't think that he is either an expert on masculinity or femininity. No, I think he's just someone who wants his voice heard. Just someone who wants his voice heard. Um, And the conflating of uh, the coddling and protection of masculinity with nationalism, patriotism, American values um, really um, comes into play when someone like Candace Owens says that it is no question that uh, gender fluidity and Marxism go hand in hand. Right. Well, and, and the other question is, you know, what to Candace Owens is a manly man? What does that mean? Does that mean we are allowing men to beat their wives? Does that mean that uh, we are allowing men to just roam the streets to fight each other gladiator style it's it's a lot more complicated than just having a quote-unquote manly men I just want and then of course we always have to be really honest with ourselves maggie are we just being typical libtards <laughs> the answer yes <laughs> yes <laughs> yes it may surprise are. you but uh it won't because yes is the answer well, the thing the thing about uh, the whole situation with Harry Styles in particular is that, um, first of all, he didn't come out and say, you know, I'm doing this for the non-binary community. He literally just wore a dress. And the other thing about it is you can attack Harry Styles as much as you want, but I guarantee he didn't walk into that shoot and was like, this is what I'm wearing. Someone put him in that dress. So if you're going to get mad at anyone, get mad at whoever was shooting the cover of Vogue, whoever was in charge of that spread, which I don't think you have a right to get mad at that anyway, but it's it seems like a very mild impact on the world and the non-binary community. I almost think that uh, by wearing a dress, by taking a, a symbol of feminism and, and femininity and donning it as a man, as someone who identifies as a cisgender male it's almost more masculine to me because if if your concept of masculinity is going to be freedom and i do what i want and all of that which is those are things we traditionally associate with masculinity then him putting on a dress should be like the ultimate symbol of masculinity like the only step further he could go is just like peeing on like (laughs) A bunch of bras or something like sure. that, you know? Like That's a great image, Maggie. Thank you <laughs> for that. Um, we yeah, all love so, to see it. So being able to sort of co-opt femininity and treat these garments that you know societally we associate with femininity, that in itself is sort of something that we should be unpacking is um, who do we grant this privilege to co-opt femininity? Who do we right. allow to do this? And who do we still sort of maintain in positions of um i don't know disempowerment or lack of validation in sort of our modern culture um so harry styles apparently can go right ahead given the green light but 
um, for so many others, the, the benefits of a cover like this is not felt. It, it doesn't ripple right. out into society. It's not felt by the queer community. Um, and yet, for whatever reason, so many people think that just this one action is now indicative of 2020 being the year that we sort of disempower and dismantle the patriarchy. And Which that just is I wish. Not happening. I simply wish. <laughs> that is that not would the be case. so great. Um, well, and, and also, this it's happened on a much larger scale before, like when we were kids and there was the tough guys wear pink movement. That's what I always think about when I, we have this conversation is that was such a, a movement is back when we were kids in like elementary and middle school, boys were wearing shirts that said that were pink and they said tough guys wear pink. And that was the whole concept is reclaiming pink for men. Which felt like a very obnoxious male. Yeah, I gotta say, thing. all of all of the men that I remember, all of the young boys oh, oh, that I remember rocking day, those tees, they were not very nice, and I can no. tell you for certain they were not confident in their femininity at all. Right, um, their masculinity either. Yeah, exactly. Because they, by labeling pink a tough guy color, whereas it could just be a color. Because here's a fun fact. Um, for the world that I would like to uh, put out there. Mm. Uh, this this may be surprising. This may be a hot take. Yeah. But um, I'm ready for colors it. and also clothing have no gender, have no sexuality. Um, they are just inanimate objects. And, well, clothing is. Colors are concepts. Um, Whoa. And rays of light mm-hmm. bouncing off of our eyeballs or whatever sure i'm a scientist so yeah don't i know it yeah um you know i think that maybe there is something to be said sometimes when we have this conversation and um maybe the the conservative sensationalism is on to something um when they say that masculinity is under attack and this is a referendum on modern masculinity maybe we should have had that referendum a long time ago maybe (laughs) we should be um creating uh, more creative outlets and platforms for gender fluidity and nonconformity to be um, regularly expressed and presented. And um, maybe we can do it in such a way that's proportionate to the empowerment and elevation of queer individuals in the queer community. Um, The very people that we can attribute uh, the very freedom and um, ability for um, gender nonconformity to be sort of so willingly embraced by Hollywood and the media um, and create a system in which it's not so exploitative. Right. So there's obviously much significance um, from this particular cover. But it's not that significant because it's been done before. There's significance to apparently certain people who have not been paying attention for a very long time. Truly. And we just talked about how commonplace bending gender norms is in Hollywood and right. in fashion. Um, and obviously, uh, we can always sort of deduce that um, fashion in a lot of ways sort of parallels the counterculture of the time. Um, so it's certainly significant in that regard. But is this contribution significant enough in terms of um, documenting our conception of masculinity? Does, does, does this really change anything for anyone? I don't think so, because I I don't think this one act, you know, 
going back to the Romans, Rome wasn't built in a day. You know, you can't unlearn behaviors by looking at one magazine cover. Um, not that it's just one magazine cover, because like we've said, um, that lots of straight male icons have been doing things like this and, and bending the clothing gender binary for a long time. Um, you know, we talked about Prince and David Bowie and even Nirvana with their long hair. That's These are all examples of that. And we looked at um, the cover of Rolling Stone in 1999 with Brad Pitt, who is this, like, he is the hunky movie star. That's who he is known to be in society these days and has been for a long time. And he's wearing much more feminine things than Harry Styles is, like, bright pink, very short and, one might say, scandalous dresses and costume jewelry and things like that. So it's nothing new. And, and there's the Met Gala every year, where if you look at that, especially a couple years ago when the theme was camp, everybody <laughs> was wearing very non-binary items of clothing, including Harry Styles. Right. That's so. true. You know, I think that um, there's certainly something to say for um, fashion being an indicator of social change and lending itself to sort of changing a dialogue around gender expression. But are there other ways to do this that are perhaps not so shallow as fashion might be? I mean, <laughs> we're fighting. We're fighting. Um, <laughs> To a certain extent, fashion is shallow, but it is, it's an art form, and, and art does represent the counterculture. That's what it's always done um, throughout history. And I think it's less fashion as a concept and more how the fashion is utilized. Mm. So, you know, I personally, when I tell people that I have a, a podcast on the history of clothing, they're like, oh, so you must be really into fashion. The answer is no. I'm wearing jeans and a sweatshirt right now. I am not any sort of expert on fashion. And I don't watch runway shows and things like that. And I, I don't know what's going on currently. I like the past stuff because I think that's cool. But I think, you know, the, desi the designers can only do so much. And, and if that's how they want to enact their social change, they can. But it's like, it's the same thing with anything, really. You know, it's what people do with it. When, you're, when you create a product, it's what people do with it. And so if fashion designers, because if you, if you do look at some of the runway fashion, certainly there's, you know, suits and things like that and more traditionally manly items. But that's not all that's there. And I, I think it would have to come with individuals in their everyday lives wearing like men going out wearing dresses and certainly there are people who are doing that you know Jonathan Van Ness and and most of the guys of queer I, I'd say will often wear makeup and heels and um, skirts and dresses and things like that which are all traditionally feminine even though heels aren't actually not historically feminine right right just saying that's another episode and you know elton john 
He's a perfect example. Have we ever seen that man wearing anything other than rhinestones from head to toe? Sure. But there's something about this current moment that we find ourselves in, in which um, so many people are faced with challenges to these norms that have been learned and perpetuated over and over again by society. So for this conversation to happen alongside a particularly volatile election cycle, for example, um, it makes sense that um, something that challenges masculinity, something that challenges the norm like this in this way would obviously have such a disproportionate reaction as we've seen. Um, and for it to be conflated with Marxism and for it to be um, conflated with the eventual demise of American ideals is certainly very telling of how we regard masculinity as number one, something that needs to be coddled and protected, mm -hmm. which does not agree with the conception of masculinity that so many people have said they know and love. Um, it is also really interesting because it's, it's almost used as a, a, a political tactic to sort of say, this is happening, this is a threat to all of us. And um, sure, it's been done before by people like David Bowie, Elton John, um, Brad Pitt more recently, and so many others more recently. That was, yeah. that, that it, it's, it's happening and has been happening forever and ever. Um, for this to be the thing that puts so many people up in arms about it, is really, really interesting because I think they, number one, know the power of influence that someone like Harry Styles has, and they also have seen indicators of how this generation, the demographic that Harry Styles probably appeals to, how they have come to challenge and unlearn the toxicity that um, maybe their parents and their grandparents uh, never even had any concept of. Right. Um, and they see that um, those ideals are slipping away and changing, and although I don't think that we're seeing the referendum that um, Ben Shapiro thinks that we're seeing, we are seeing challenges to the norms and cracks in the system that really do threaten people and the powers that be, uh, and people that benefit from the status quo and the disempowerment of women and the diluted empowerment of men. Um, well, and it's, you know, you can point out that, uh, Vogue is a fashion magazine. It is uh, a magazine more traditionally for women. Um, and that's not to say men can't read it. Men are more than welcome to read it. Non-binary folks read away. But traditionally, Vogue is not uh, the last word on manly men, right. is what I would say. So it's... You know, the fact that Vogue is being attacked, whereas, again, I'm going to bring up the Brad Pitt cover of Rolling Stone, which is a much more... Overtly sexual. <laughs> overtly sexual magazine, especially when it comes to things traditionally made for the straight man. It seems interesting that Candace Owens and, and these people aren't looking back at 1999 and they're not saying over 20 years ago this was happening masculinity died in 1999 <laughs> thanks to brad pitt <laughs> wouldn't that be nice though wouldn't that be something i think we really can't sort of adopt the perspective that um we should be applauding 
or commending Harry Styles for um, his bravery or um, right. the, the cultural contribution that this has because um, that really sort of lends itself uh, to the erasure of uh, so many people that have sort of been uh, challenging these norms and testing the boundaries forever and ever well beyond um, Vogue's history of publication um, and uh, well beyond what has now sort of come to be um, American idealized masculinity. And although Vogue and this cover can certainly give a lot of permission for people to think outside of the box and the gender binary and uh, gender roles, we really sort of have to recenter this dialogue around the people, namely the, the queer individuals that have really made this happen and have sort of um, been sort of leading the charge in this way of um, deconstructing masculinity and femininity and um, sort of existing outside of those two binaries. And that's not even to mention the entire trans community. Yeah, absolutely. Where if they put a trans person on the cover of Vogue, like, I, I don't want to know what Candace Owens has to say about that because I'm sure it would be ugly and disgusting. But by saying that Harry Styles can't wear a dress, you're invalidating both the non-binary and also the trans communities because, you know, by that logic, I mean, we can guess with some certainty what she thinks of trans individuals, but, you know, a trans woman is not a dude in a dress. It's a woman in a dress. And the thing about it is that anyone can wear a fucking dress because it's a dress. Right. It's certainly noteworthy to say that just because um, someone wears a dress, a male-identified cis male wears a dress, um, suddenly that makes them a little trans or uh, that they are um, somehow expressing some gender variance. Actually, I was talking at work about this just the other day. There's this guy um, who is a, he identifies as a straight cisgender male, but he shows up at work every day in heels and a skirt because he says he looks great in it. And I can't pretend like he's wrong because he's not. He looks great. And he's right. Right. He can wear it Mm -hmm. because what's stopping him? When I roll up somewhere wearing, you know, trousers and a button-down shirt and a blazer, it's a different story. No no one's going to get mad at that. But for some reason, it's men adopting female clothing, female traditional clothing, that freaks people out. Right. I just want to be careful of uh, not uh, lending to the conversation that, like, suddenly... Um, someone wearing a, a male-identified person wearing a dress automatically makes them trans, or that's what it right. means. That's an indicator. Exactly, um, and that—that that was my point in bringing yeah. him up. Is is he identifies as a straight cisgender man, and he just wants to wear it. And Harry Styles identifies, as far as we know, publicly he identifies as a cisgender man. So it's you know, it's a spectrum. It's a spectrum. Fashion and is fashion. What does it matter? It's you should wear what makes you feel comfortable and confident, no matter what that is. As long as, you know, <laughs> you're not being inappropriate in public and breaking any laws, you should wear whatever you want. And um, if you 
want to wear a dress, no matter who you are, no matter what you identify as, you should be able to wear a dress. If you want to wear a dog costume because you identify as a puppy, go nuts. Wear that dog costume. Live your truth. Maybe Nemo can answer some questions Nemo, for us. Nemo, what do you identify as? Three-legged dog. He identifies as a dingus. A dingus? Nemo, are you a dingus? So, Maggie, just all in all, do you think that we ought to celebrate this cover as something that is indicative of the cultural change that we aspire to as a society, to dismantle the gender binary, to transcend um, typical traditional gender roles? Is this something that we should celebrate? I think to a certain extent, yes. But I also don't think that we should pretend like this one small Vogue cover really makes that much of a lasting impact. And I think that most liberals and progressives don't think that it has as much of an impact as conservatives do. Um, I think that it's a good sign. I think that it's not a bad thing at all. I'm, I'm pro it, but until the conversation doesn't have to be had when when the conversation stops being had that's how we will know that we have reached the point that we've made real progress right and uh i have to say um i know i i don't know how much you know about this but um logan do you know who logan paul is yes youtuber he's a douchebag um but he actually was on a podcast where they were talking about it and he was saying I don't see there there's anything wrong with him wearing a dress there's no point like why are you getting mad this is the only time in my entire life I've ever been like wow Logan Paul good work wow because normally I'm like fuck you right um but it was a really good little segment and the two guys who he was with were like how is it manly to wear a dress like it's so unmanly to wear a dress all this stuff and he's like how is that unmanly like it's a dress it's just a dress and I think that that, that's our point. That's, the point is, it's just a dress. It's not even traditionally, historically speaking, mm -hmm. it's not even a symbol of femininity. It is by current standards, but almost, progress is almost re regression here. Mm -hmm. Where, you know, back in the Middle Ages, um, men and women were both wearing kirtles. Right. Which are dresses. And that's how we'll know, we know we'll have made it. When mm -hmm. I can go out and wear, you know, a traditionally male outfit of, like, a tuxedo, and you can go out wearing a ball gown, and no one thinks twice about it. Except that you're wearing a ball gown in the middle of the day. Well, you'd be wearing the ball gown. Oh, yeah. I would be wearing the ball gown. <laughs> I mean to like a formal event. Right, of course. If we could revisit prom. Gabriel was my prom date. It's true. Um, to junior prom. He asked me, uh, how many days before? I want to say four. No way. <laughs> yeah, you asked me right before prom. That doesn't make any sense, though. I know, it was really frustrating. How could we have done that? <laughs> well, because someone had told me that I was going to be asked to the prom. Maybe you asked me the weekend before. Still a, a it was, fucked up move. It was still not great. Jeez. My mom was furious. Oh but my she, god. Then she Lee. found out it was you and she was happy. So, so anyway. something that I think is really interesting is, I mean, as we've said 
countless times throughout this segment uh, that this has been done before, it's nothing new, but that it happening right now in this current political moment um, makes it especially telling for why people reacted the way that they did. Um, Do you think it's the obvious association with queerness that people have when men express femininity that makes it seem like such a a challenge to the status quo why even logan paul's counterparts were able to say no how can you say that this doesn't disrupt masculinity or how can you say that's masculine is it the association with queerness that really threatens men that really makes people feel like if someone like harry styles who is just sort of treated as like the the epitome of how we regard desirable masculine traits now if he can express this way um and do it in such a way that sort of bypasses the obvious um censors that we apply to queerness is it the queer aspect of this action that really threatens people i absolutely think that it is internalized homophobia whether or not you're willing to say outright that you don't like gay people (laughs) that's what you're saying when you say this um because there is a certain regard for any form of femininity expressed by a man as being homosexual, as being an act of homosexuality, Um, which is ridiculous. And, you know, obviously sitting here looking at you, (laughs) survivor survivor of the cargo short. Yeah, Um, thank you. But, you know... Feels good to be here. (laughs) Did you make it through the 12 steps, or uh, are you still in, like, step five? You know, I, I still own a few pairs oh, of cargo no. shorts, Get rid of them. and I know exactly where, where they are, so if I ever needed to, I know that I could, I could get fire. my fix if I absolutely <laughs> needed it. Snort them. Um, but I do, I do think that, uh, that it, it, the problem is not with the dress. The problem is not necessarily with femininity, although it is to a certain extent. The problem is with the queerness, and that's a problem. The problem for me is the queerness as it is positioned relative to masculinity. Right. So all in all, we really shouldn't be deluding ourselves into thinking that Harry Styles is undoing the patriarchy. Right. Um, we really shouldn't think that uh, Harry Styles is sort of leading the charge of um, queer liberation. Um, And we always just sort of have to be cognizant of the element of erasure when it comes to uh, fashion and uh, the co-opting of queer culture by masculine, manly men. Yes. Um, And I I think that you're absolutely right in saying that um, it's conservatives that have such a strong opinion around this and liberals who are kind of indifferent because I don't think that uh, in the aftermath of... Um, this election cycle um, liberals are going to be taking any firm stances anytime soon and uh, conservatives are sort of clutching their pearls and trying to retain any sense of normalcy or understanding of the world as they see it desperately right what I think just to wrap up I I think that uh, the good thing that Harry Styles Vogue cover did was it brought up this conversation and it's a conversation that a lot of people are having and um you know if logan paul's willing to do it and with his cronies 
and we're willing to do it, you know, it, it, I think that's positive. I don't think it's massively impactful, but I do think that it is a positive thing. Um, and I, I really just think that it doesn't matter because clothing has no gender and you should wear what you want. Right. And we shouldn't hinder creative expression just because of our dated, very heavy conceptions of what it is a man should look like and what it is that a woman should look like. Right. Because if you're going off that, men would be butt ugly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's probably true. Uh, yeah. Uh, to what extent is fashion really a driver of cultural change? I think that uh, fashion is not, fashion in and of itself is not necessarily a driver of social change. I think that fashion is a, an art form. And art doesn't necessarily cause social change, I think it depicts it. So I think by having someone like Harry Styles wear a dress, you're not making change, you're depicting change. And <laughs> chef's kiss. Um, and I think that that's, that's much more what it is. And, and, you know, Candace Owens, you can say what you want about it, but it's not... This is not an act of revolution. It's a depiction of revolution. It's sh it's showing you where we're going, mm -hmm. and where we are as as a society right now is Harry Styles gets to wear a dress, right. and you know what? He looked great. I think most of the men who had problems with it are just mad at how hot he looked. I definitely could agree with that. So, yeah, that was a good. That was a I'm proud of that answer. That was, <laughs> that was a really, good. really fucking good answer, Maggie. I know. Nailed it. I'm a college graduate. Wow, I love that. This episode of Who, Wore What, When was researched and written by me, Maggie Latham, and him, Gabriel Shirzada. It was edited by me, Maggie Latham, and produced by the amazing and incredible Dabney Rao. The entire podcast was inspired by David Henderson's history of clothing course at Hofstra University. This episode was sponsored by Nemo the dog's constant interruptions, Ben Shapiro's inability to please any woman ever, and cargo shorts. May they rest in peace. I'm so glad you got out of that life. You need Me to really throw those out, too. though. Um, we'll get there. Someday. Healing is non-linear. <laughs> Did you know that making a podcast costs money? It sure does. But there is a way you can help by going to patreon.com and searching for who or what when or by clicking the link in the description. You can help us break even. Woo! For $1 per month, you can get access to some of our research materials, and for $5 per month, you can get access to bonus episodes. Additionally, for a one-time donation of $50 or more, I'll make you a custom embroidery or I guess crocheting because I do that now too. Thank you to our patrons for making the production of this show possible. Special thanks to David Henderson, of course, and everyone who voted on my Instagram poll that they would listen to this podcast. I love you guys. Did you enjoy this episode? Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, five stars only, please. And tell your friends to listen. Tell your enemies to listen. Tell your dog to listen. And check us out on Instagram at who or what when pod or at our website www.whowarewhatwhenpod.com. 
And if you have any questions, concerns, suggestions, anything like that, you can shoot us an email at whoorwhatwhenpod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Shit! (laughs) Oh my god! (laughs)